This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. We are going to continue this morning what we began last week. Um, In my almost 20 years of preaching, I've never had happen what I had last week, which was uh, towards the end of my sermon, I realized I was running out of time and decided to finish it up this week. But I left uh, really last week thinking that the reason the Lord did that uh, was because of how much you desperately needed this text. So that's what I was thinking. I think, I bet they really, really need this. And then about midway through the week, uh, as I continued to study this text, I realized maybe the Lord did it because I desperately needed this text. And it's true. Either way, I'm really grateful to be able to take another week to spend in uh, what is most likely the most familiar passage of Scripture in all of the book of Proverbs, Uh, to be able to just spend some time in this text, which for many of you, and many of you have articulated this to me, is your life passage, your life verse. A passage that comes with some great help and some great encouragement, with some incredible promises that I would imagine every one of us would like to take a hold of. And if we want to take a hold of those promises, then we certainly have to walk in those truths And I'm really grateful that God has had us here for a couple of weeks. I do sense that I need it in my own heart. I don't know why it is exactly, but it feels to me as if my besetting sin, and you've probably figured this out by now, is that I really do seem to struggle in my life with fear and anxiety and worry and uh, just trusting the Lord. Not at all in salvation. I am fully aware that there is nothing I can add to what Christ has already done for me. I'm aware that none of my righteous works can make me right with God, but I must trust fully in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and I'm only saved by his death, burial, and resurrection. And as I place my faith in that, my sins are forgiven, and I'm made right with God. And I I, I don't seem to have trouble trusting that. It's more in the day-to-day things, some small ones and some big ones, but for some reason it seems to be this is something that I, I just struggle with. I was talking with an older friend of mine recently who's a a bit of a mentor, and he said, how are you doing? And I said, well, honestly, I'm really tired. And I said, I just feel overwhelmed, and there's so many things to do, and I've got some big decisions that need to be made, and it feels like everybody's waiting on me to make those decisions, and they all depend upon me, and what I do in this situation really matters, and it's just really heavy, and I'm just explaining all of this stuff. And he said, with great empathy, wow, That must be really exhausting. And I said, yes, thank you for understanding. It's so exhausting. No one else understands, but it's so exhausting to live that way. He says, yes, I bet it's really lonely. And I said, yes, it's so lonely. Here I am just like carrying all of this stuff and there's all these things I I need to do and so many people are waiting on me and it's all, it's so lonely. I'm, I'm so glad you understand that. And he said, I bet sometimes you just feel like, like you have to step into the situation and fix it. Kind of like you're, you have to be the hero. And I said, exactly. Like you're saying everything that I'm thinking all the time, but no one else seems to understand. I'm so glad you understand this. 
He said, it also seems really arrogant. I said, I don't know about that. I mean, the other stuff, I'm with you, but I don't know about that. He goes, no, think about the arrogance of this. I mean, just think about how self-consumed this is. Think about this idea that really everything is depending on you and nothing is going to get done unless you do it and all of the weight is on your shoulders. That's, you have to admit that's that's pretty self-centered. I said, maybe a tad. He said, you know, it's also, it's also really godless. I mean, here you are at the center of everything. It, it doesn't seem to put God in the equation at all as if God's not going to help or, or if, if God's not going to sustain you, that all of this depends upon you. And I said, I don't see it that way, but I mean, I guess that's fine. And he says, you ever heard the story of Atlas? He says, you know, Atlas was a titan and he went to war against Olympian and he lost. And so Zeus in Greek mythology uh, put him in the western part of the earth and told him that for all of existence he had to hold up the skies. That was his punishment. And we know the statue uh, of Atlas, you know, he's the one that he's, he's on one knee and he's holding up the world. He said, you know, you're not Atlas. Like you're not carrying the whole world on your shoulders. It may feel that way, but that's a really godless way to live. I've never talked to him since then, but. (laughs) You know, I was thinking about that story this week and I almost didn't tell it because I thought, well, maybe that's just me. I mean, I I think some of that's my personality and the tendency that I have, but, but then I begin to think that Jesus was aware that a vast majority of people, to some extent, given you're not as arrogant as I am, but to some extent, everyone must feel some of that weight Because in Matthew 11, Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. And the only reason people would have come to Jesus is if they had felt deep inside of their soul that they were tired and and they felt the weight and the burden and they longed for rest. And so their motive in coming to Jesus would be that longing not to feel that way any longer. The context in which Jesus said that was the weight that people felt that had been put upon them by the religious leaders of the day, the weight of trying to obey all of the law and the weight of feeling that the only way you're gonna be right with God is if you do everything that God has required. And Jesus said, you don't have to feel that weight any longer because the weight of the law has been removed, Jesus says, because I have fulfilled every bit of the law. And the weight of your sin has been removed because it was all placed upon me on the cross in which I bore all of your sin. And so the weight of your sin and all of the shame and all of the despair and the weight of the law, you don't have to feel that weight any longer. There's some of you this morning that are still feeling that weight. You feel of the weight of I gotta make God happy with me. I've gotta make God pleased with me. Let me just tell you something. You will never do enough good to make God happy with you or pleased with you. You're feeling the weight of your sin and the shame and all of your mistakes. Let me say this morning, God can remove every bit of that because every work of the law required to be right with God has been met in Jesus Christ. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, all of the weight of your sin has been removed as well. All you must do is trust what he has already done. But because the invitation of Jesus is a call to continue to come to him, It seems to me that this isn't just a one-time thing, that we come to him for the forgiveness of our sins and that weight is removed. It seems that in Jesus inviting us to himself in that way, that we would tend to often feel heavy. 
We would often feel burdened and we would often feel a desire for rest and a need. And so Jesus invites him and he says, listen, I want you to take my yoke upon you. I mean, I want you to lower yourself and to humble yourself and surrender to me and walk with me. And as you do, all of a sudden, the yoke that was heavy upon our shoulders is now carried upon Jesus' shoulders and the strongest person always carries the most weight. And so Jesus says, in the process of walking with me, as you have submitted yourself to me, what happens is, Jesus says, I begin to carry the weight for you and then you begin to know rest. But the most interesting word in that passage is the word learn and learn from me. Because now that makes me think that this is not something that we just, we just do, but it's something that we learn. It's something we grow into. It's something that God wants to teach us. And I believe that's exactly the context of Proverbs 3. I mean, Proverbs 3 comes with a very clear command, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And we make decisions to trust. Everyone has to make a decision to trust the Lord for salvation. And there are times in our lives when we just have to make decisions. Someone shared a testimony with me after the service and told me I could say this, that they were in a very heavy situation and they were walking down a, a dirt path and all of a sudden they became absolutely broken. They laid down on the dirt path and in one moment for the very first time just gave these things to the Lord, just surrendered these things to the Lord. And there are moments like that. But the reality is the way in which we come to trust the Lord more is by trusting the Lord more. We practice these things. We learn these things. And in the context of a relationship with Jesus, as we walk with him, as we seek him, as we seek to know him and understand him, we learn more how to trust him. And the more we trust him, the more we're able to sing, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. We start to understand the sweetness of Jesus carrying the load, the sweetness of knowing that my life is in the hands of a sovereign and a good and a gracious and a loving God. And my desire for you is to know the sweetness that comes with resting and relying upon the Lord. So let's look at this text again this morning. Let me read Proverbs 3, 1 through 12. It says this, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. More promises here so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Listen to this promise. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then, here's a promise, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. I told you last week that to define that little word there in verse 5, trust, we need two words, and those words are rest and rely. 
You say, what does it mean to trust? Well, I would say it means to rest and to rely. So I am relying upon the Lord. Why? Because I know his promises and I know his works and I've seen his faithfulness. And so I rely upon God's ability to take care of everything that concerns me, to navigate my life in a way that he seems is best. And out of reliance, I can rest. I'm resting and relying upon the Lord. So to say trust in the Lord means to rest and rely. That's, that's the goal. That's what we want to experience. And last week I said there are two parts of this, at least the two we got to last week. First of all, if we're going to rest and rely, we must feast on God's word. If you want to hear more about that, listen to last week's sermon. That's verses 1 through 3. We feast on God's word. We have to know him. We have to know his heart. We have to know his promises. We have to know his work. We have to be reminded of who we are and our relationship to him. Listen, at the most foundational level, we are sustained day by day by the word of God. Every day we are sustained by the word of God. Man cannot live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God, Matthew 4, 4, you will never grow in trust unless you are consistently feasting upon the word of God. The second thing we said last week is we must fight self-reliance. We must fight self-reliance. This is war. This is a, a battle for your soul. It's a battle for your mind. It's a battle for your heart. It's a battle for your affections. Can I just say it's a battle for the health of your family because your own heart dysfunction that is not being dealt with is affecting everyone in your family. It is affecting generations. I believe that a generational curse is in a sense one sin that one generation does not deal with. And as a result of not being dealt with, their children then carry on those sins. And so our failure to deal with these things and fight these things have a massive effect on our lives and the life of others. And we have to fight this. So in other words, using my illustration from before... This kind of exhausted, lonely hero that lives inside of me must be killed. He's godless. He's a false narrative. He's a lie of the enemy. And the enemy wants me to live out of that sense of I'm this lonely, exhausted hero and no one understands. And it's just a lie from the pit of hell. That person has to be killed. That was last week. Now this week, I believe God wants to give us some more practical ways in which we walk in this. And so I said last week that we must feast on God's word and fight self-reliance. But the final thing I want you to see this morning, we're going to look practically how this works, is that we must flex our trust. I can't tell you how much I tried to find a better word. I'll be honest. I, I wasn't super excited about that. But it was alliterated, which I liked, number one. And number two, the idea of flexing there means this. The word to flex something means to put a skill to use. And I can't think of a better way to say this. The way in which we grow in our trust of the Lord is we put our trust to use. We practice this and we grow in it through practice. We're strengthened by conscious acts of faith. That one act of trust leads to more trust. And one act of faith leads to more faith. We grow in our trust as we practice it and put it to use. I think sometimes in our, in our desire to be helpful and maybe to sound religious, we would often say something like this to someone, just give it to God. I used this in the first service and someone came to me with tears in their eyes and said, 
I can't tell you how many times in my worst moments someone said, just give it to God. And to this day, I don't know exactly what that means. And there is a 1 Peter 5, 7 sense here in which we cast our cares upon the Lord. And I told you a story last week of me doing that and learning how as I'm walking, like physically exercising, taking these things that are heavy and, and one by one kind of seeing them in God's eyes and trying to give them to the Lord. So I get that a little bit. But the most helpful thing, I think, in building trust is not just give it to the Lord. The reality is if we want to learn how to trust the Lord more, we have to step out in faith. And we practice trust. And as we practice, what happens is God shows himself faithful and we increase our trust. And you just watch the whole narrative of the Old Testament that God is rewarding people for their faith. And God gives them little steps and they take them. And then God leads them to greater steps. We have to learn how to practice trusting the Lord. And so what we have in the rest of this text is four practices that will help us to learn how to trust the Lord. Four practices that help us learn how to trust the Lord. I would encourage you to write these down. The first one is this. We want to strengthen our trust. We must practice. Here it is. Slowing down. Slow down. I don't like this one, but it's here, and so I have to say it. Because it seems to me that everything called for in these verses demands a change of pace. I mean, even just the first three verses. Don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. So even just the idea of the heart keeping the commandments mean that I have to be hearing the word of God. I have to be receiving the word of God. I have to find ways in which the word of God are changing me from the inside out. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. These are things that demand time. And then I feel like right before you get to verse five, like in just reading this, you have to take a breath. So it says, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Everything about these verses demands that we just slow down for a minute and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. That word acknowledge there means to investigate. It means to think carefully about something. It means to receive and to hear. But the primary thing it means is to give some thought to something. So what that has to mean is that we are to, in every area of our life, bring God into it. Remember, the goal of these verses is to live not a self-centered life, but a God-centered life. But we have to give time and space to bring God into our circumstances, to bring God into our situations. And part of the thing I love there about the idea of investigating is the reality is this. Listen, our propensity towards being anxious and overwhelmed and fearful is rooted in something deeper. And so next week, Lord willing, we're going to look at Proverbs 4 and the issue of the heart. And we're going to learn that every single action in our life flows from the heart. And so the goal of life is not just to fix all of our actions. The goal of life is to fix our heart. Because we can't just try to be better people. We have to have hearts that are pure and right before God. Every bit of work is a heart work if we want to see any lasting change. But listen to this. 
if, if I've got to take my actions and I know that the answer is not to simply to be less angry or be less anxious, but I have to examine what is it inside of my heart that is leading me to live that way, that takes some time. And what I'm afraid is that, that we are living with what we talk about now as, as hurried sickness, this constant sense that we're overwhelmed and exhausted, feeling a sense of urgency all of the time. Listen to me. That sense of constant urgency is so detrimental to our spiritual lives because of this. God cannot and will not work under those conditions. Did you hear that? God will not work under those conditions. God demands time. God demands space. God demands you sit and listen and hear and receive. God demands that you seek wise counsel. God demands that you take the time to put him in the midst of, of every situation and see what he has to say. It was so amazing. I felt like every moment of this week was God trying to teach me how to apply these things. I prefer it better when I don't feel that at all and I just think you need it, but it happened this week. So here I am Tuesday morning. It's my real one morning to really focus and study, but I've got this big decision I need to make and I'm getting pressure to make it quickly and it's a big thing um, and, and I wake up feeling anxious about it and I don't know what decision to make. And if I make the wrong decision, it has big implications. And so I sought some counsel. I went to see one person and then I called another person and I still didn't know what to do. And it was really as if in the middle of that, I knew that what I needed to do is just stop feeling the weight of making that decision right then. I said, slow down. And just allow the Lord to lead me to people who can guide me in this, to seek the Lord, to seek counsel, to pray. That I knew that if I rushed into this, I was going to make a wrong decision. And the truth is, there is so much that is going on around us that we do not often take the time to put ourselves in a position where the Lord can work and change the deeper things. I think so much about the story in, in Luke 10, and, and you know the story of, of Martha and Mary, and uh, you've got a lot of older sister, younger sister dynamics here, birth order stuff. It's super great. And so here's Martha, who's a tad self-righteous, uh, self uh, self-righteous, and, and she's doing so much work, and she's really mad because her younger sister's not doing anything. So she asked Jesus to rebuke her younger sister, which I love everything about that moment. And Jesus looks at Martha and says, Martha, Martha. I think the repetition of that's important. Martha, Martha, you're worried about so many things. But listen, there's a reason that Martha felt like when Jesus was in her house, she had to work as hard as she can and do the best thing she could ever do to provide the best meal for Jesus. There was something that that was rooted in. There was something in Martha's heart. The issue is not Martha, just slow down. The issue is Martha, what is going in your heart that makes you feel like you can't stop and sit there and listen to Jesus? Instead, you're frantically working. There's something there. Let me tell you something the Lord revealed to me this week. I've never in my life said this out loud. That lonely, exhausted hero was part of my identity. It was my identity. I think it came out of a lot of things. I think it came out of wanting to be perceived that I'm a hard worker. I think it came out of that ridiculous narrative that pastors only work on Sundays and I wanted to prove that that's not true. I think I was trying to prove something to a lot of people, but I think what happened is, is I was functioning in that way, listen, because I actually wanted everyone to think I was exhausted and overwhelmed and had too much to do. 
That's unbelievably ungodly. But it wasn't an issue of me just needing to, to change my actions. I had an identity issue. And the only way I could see that is if I slowed down enough to say, what is going on in your heart that makes you think every time somebody says hi, you have to tell them how busy you are. They're not impressed. And it was a false identity that was living out of, and I wanted to live out of it. But that person had to die. And so there's something for all of us, but we got to give the Lord time and space to show us. Slow down. The second one is this. And I will not give as many, get as many amens on this one, but I'm going to say it anyway. We slow down and we give consistently. We give consistently. There is no coincidence at all that right after we're commanded to trust the Lord with all of our heart and in all of our ways acknowledge him, to not be wise in our own eyes, in other words, to just not stop doing what seems right to us, but to fear the Lord, to obey the Lord, and to turn away from ungodliness, it says this in verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth. You say, well, I don't have any wealth. Well, it's a reverence to whatever you have. And with the first fruits, listen, uh, these are words you need to underline. First fruits, underline that, of all, circle that, your produce. And then here's this promise. Then, now circle that, highlight that. Then, as you honor the Lord with the first fruits of all that you have, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. In other words, what the Lord is saying is, do you want to learn to trust me? Do you, do you want to know the sweetness of walking and trust to me? Do you want your soul to be at rest? Well, let me tell you the way in which God teaches us to trust him by giving. And so all the way throughout the Old Testament, the Old Testament saints are told to give the first fruits. That means not the leftovers, but when they get the first of their produce, not knowing if they're going to get any more later, they give the first of what they get. And it's not because God needed their vegetables. And it's not because God needed their money. It's because God desperately longed for the affections of their heart. And he knew that in order to get their heart, he was going to have to get them to give because it cultivated a heart of gratitude, of thanksgiving, and confidence in the Lord. Because every single time they were obedient to give of the first fruits, God always provided. And so the God, listen, who knows the sweetness of trusting him and who longs for you to experience it, has said that you will never learn to trust the Lord unless you learn to give and trust him to provide for you. And I believe without question and without hesitation in first fruits tithing. I believe that the greatest thing that we can do as New Testament believers is take 10% from the first that the Lord has given us and give that back to him. And I'm not saying that out of a sense of like Old Testament law. I just think that I got to get over the narrative in my mind that I'm giving the Lord 10% of what I have. That's a ridiculous statement. I'm giving back to the Lord 10% of the 100% that he gave me. And bigger than that, let me just take, I want the Lord's blessing on my life. I think 10% is where you start. I think Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is expecting us when you give. I think Matthew 23, 23, you can write that down. Jesus expected for us to tithe and many other things beyond that. 
But the reality is I want the blessing of God on my life. And the verse that changed my life in terms of giving is Luke 6, 38. Luke 6, 38. Given, it will be given unto you. And so there's, that's enough. That's a promise. It will be given to you running over. That's another promise. But here's the promise that changed my life in giving. He says this. According to the measurement that you use, it will be measured back to you. So let's say your giving is a little teaspoon, right? It's a little teaspoon. Well, then the measure God uses to give back to you is a little teaspoon. And let me, can I just say, if you're thinking this is Old Testament, as my brother would say, those are red words, right? That's Jesus' words right there. According to the measurement you use, it'll be measured back to you. And so I have to tell you, like, in a desire to see the fulfillment of this promise, what he says, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine for those who give from all of the first fruits. I just want you to know that as God is teaching you to trust, it must begin with this practice. We had dinner with some precious friends last night. I asked them after the first service if I could share this. They have a successful business and they said they have this little principle that when the phone stops ringing at the business, the owner of the business looks at his wife who answers the phone and says, we have to give something away. And they give something away. And they said about a month ago it happened. The phone stopped ringing and they got scared. So they gave one of the greatest gifts they've ever gotten and just had the best month they've ever had. Now, I'm not preaching prosperity gospel, but I am preaching that I believe in the promises of God. That if you give, God will reward it. 30% of our members give nothing. I don't know about tithing. Who knows about tithing? 30% give nothing, and it grieves me for two primary reasons. One, because if every member of our church tithed, we would never need a building fund. We just have all this money sitting over here, and what was next, we would just do it. Number one. But much more than that, it grieves me because it's impossible for you to walk by faith and have the blessing of God upon your life, your home, or your finances if you're not giving. And that makes me really sad for you. So we just start giving and we watch God come through and it builds our faith and it builds our trust. We learn to trust him by taking his promise of honoring the Lord from the first fruits of all of your produce. So we slow down, we give consistently. Here's the third one. We see in everything God's hand. Begin to see God's hand. This is a practice that I believe will build your trust in him. And it's verses 11 and 12, our last two verses. First, it says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Two very important words. The word discipline right there really means training. And the word reproof means correction. So get that. The word discipline means training. And the word um, reproof there means correction. So I think we think of discipline as always a negative, but it's not in scripture. I preached a whole sermon on this in Hebrews 12, if you want to go back and listen to it. But God is committed to working in our lives and growing us and sanctifying us. God is committed to conforming us into the image of Christ. He's committed to building character in us. And so he's constantly working on us. And that idea of discipline is not you did something wrong, therefore God is coming after you. It is every circumstance in your life is part of the training of God to make you into the person he wants you to be. 
Now, the reproof there is a correction. Sometimes we walk in sin, and God, out of love, because we are children of God, will correct us in a way. He will reprove us in a way. But even that is done out of love. If a child is not disciplined, he isn't loved. That's what Hebrews 12 tells us. It tells us right here in Proverbs 3. But the point is this, is that every circumstance in your life is a part of God's training. It's a part of God's working in your life. But what he wants to warn us of is, listen, look at that verse 11. Do not despise. The word despise means to rebel or reject or or ignore or to push something away. And so I've got this circumstance in my life and I'm just ignoring it. I've got this sin in my life and I'm ignoring it. or, Or I've got this situation that I'm ignoring or this person I'm ignoring. We are very, very good at just ignoring things. But he also says this, don't be weary. That means to be defeated or discouraged or overwhelmed or let your situation crush you. And the reason he's saying, I I don't want you to ignore the circumstances in your life. And I, I don't want the circumstances in your life to crush your spirit. Why? Because God is saying, because I'm behind all of them. I'm behind all of them. I remember, I've said this to you before. I remember when Andrea was diagnosed with cancer. I remember I had one group of people telling me it was the devil that did it. And another group of people telling me uh, that the Lord did it. And another group of people saying, well, it's just the world that we live in. And the reality is, to some degree, those questions don't matter. There is a sovereign God overseeing everything that happens in my life. And every bit of it, he will use for good and his glory. Read Job. It's all according to the plan of God. Ephesians 1.11, he's working all things according to the counsel of his will. So one of the things we have to do if we want to learn to trust is we have to look at every circumstance and every pain and every difficulty in our life and see the sovereign hand of God and know that he is for us and that he is with us. And listen, as much as we are tempted to despise them and be weary of them, every single situation in our life is a merciful gift of God who is committed to using them to make us into the people that he wants us to be and to lead us into knowing the sweetness of resting in him. We see God's hand. The final one quickly is this. We slow down, we give consistently, we see God's hand. And the final one is this. We must practice preaching to ourselves preaching to ourselves. I want to tell you, I I would encourage you to just dwell a little bit. If you slow down this week, would you slow down in Proverbs 3, 12, 5, 6, and 7 gets all the attention. Don't forget verse 12. Why should I not despise my circumstances and be crushed by my circumstances? For the Lord reproves him whom he loves. It's all flowing out of his heart for us. As a father, the son in whom he delights. So what I want to say to you is that we have to learn in the midst of every circumstance to continue to remind ourselves of the truth because the battle we're fighting is a battle of the mind. These demonic strongholds are the lies that we believe and as a result of believing them, they really do put kind of this wall around our lives and the only way we take down those strongholds, those lies of the enemy is with the truth of God's word. And so the failure in the garden was a failure to know and repeat the word of God. And the victory in the wilderness with Jesus was the ability to use the word of God to defeat the enemy. 
And so if we're going to live this way in trust, we have to constantly be reminding ourselves of what is true because it feels like God is not with us. It feels like he is not for us. And what we say according to this text right here is that I am a child of God. I have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. I have been adopted into the family of God. I am safe and secure for all of eternity in the hands of God. Jesus knows his sheep and there is nothing that can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So I say to myself, I'm a child of God. I say to myself, I am loved of God right here. I am deeply and perfectly and fully loved more than you have ever loved a child, more than you have ever loved a spouse, more than you have ever experienced love in your entire life. You are loved by God. And the greatest love you have ever experienced is a small picture of the love that God has for you. And you tell yourself that God delights in you. Zephaniah 3, he sings over you. He delights in you. He rejoices over you. Listen, I don't know what you think about when you think of you, but the Lord sings and he's happy with you. Not because of anything you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you. He sings when he thinks about you. He gets happy when he thinks about you. And I've told you this over and over, but I'm going to keep saying it, that when the Father opens up heaven and says in Matthew 3, that's my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he looks at every one of you that know him and says, you're mine, and I love you, and I'm proud of you. We just have to keep saying that to ourselves over and over and over, because this is a war. And the enemy wants to win the war with lies. But we fight back with the truth. I heard a pastor say the other day that I really respect, and I was surprised when he said this. They asked him the most important verse in his life. And he said the Romans 8.32 that we read a minute ago. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, if God didn't spare his own son, why would we think he would spare anything from us? Why do we question his goodness? Why do we question his love? Why do we question his heart? Why do we question his plan? He has showed us the ultimate demonstration of his love in giving to us his son. I'm so thankful last week, and I'll close with this. I'm so thankful last week. How many of you said to me, Pastor, I needed that message. Boy, I'm thankful for that message. Praise the Lord. My prayer this morning is not that you would just think I need that message and you're grateful for that message, but that you would make a decision to begin to practice these things that lead you to trusting the Lord. That you would walk out of here doing something. And the reason is because I'm tired of watching you and I'm tired of watching myself lose these little battles when the ultimate war has already been won by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has already declared our victory. He has already declared our glorification. He has already declared that he will take care of everything that concerns us. He has already declared that nothing can separate us from the love of God. So why would we ever be losing these little battles when we know that the war has already been won? And I don't want you to lose another one. I want you to learn the sweetness of trusting the Lord, practicing these things for your good and his glory. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.